Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, the podcast for entrepreneurs interested in fast growth and funding, powered by EHE Capital. Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, and today Guy and Gary are joined by John Davidge, Head of Corporate at Berman's Law Firm in Manchester. Guy, I'm going to hand over to you on this one. Guy, John and Gary will be talking about the legal building blocks for a successful company. Guy, how are you doing? Yeah, thanks, George. Very well. Very well. Thank you. Okay. Welcome, John. Hi, Guy. You okay? Yeah, good. Welcome, Gary. Back right, again. Everyone. Can't believe it's been a week. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. It does. It does. As George says, John is a partner at Burnham's. Burnham's is a, a full service commercial law firm with a particular kind of specialism in asset finance and invoice finance, or particularly recognized for those, those skills. Yeah, where, where do I know John from? So I've worked with John for quite a number of years now uh, across a, a number of companies. Uh, and in particular, Burnham's, uh, John in particular, did a fantastic job during the acquisition of, of Cake back in 2017. And since then, we've worked on various other things, the startup factory and, and, and one or two other things as well. EHE will be using uh, John for, for, for some of their business as well. So that's kind of our history. So we're going to talk today about legal building blocks. So why do companies need a lawyer? And at what stage of an entrepreneur's journey or a company's journey should they engage with a lawyer? And although we will cover off startups, we're not here to talk about that kind of side of things in detail. We're going to focus on the high growth companies. So we'll cover off startup side pretty quickly, but then focus on why people need a lawyer in sort of their high growth kind of situation, the kind of situation that EHE would come in and potentially help companies fund that growth. So, John, over to you. Thanks, Guy. Um, yeah, that's really helpful. I mean, I mean, the question, uh, you know, why does a company need a lawyer? Well, I think traditionally people sort of see lawyers as, as wearing wigs and, and, and being in a court. Now, that's, that's certainly something that my role is to avoid. Um, and that's by preparing early and having very good corporate governance within your business. So the sort of documentation that any sort of start and growth business needs really starts with what we call the, the equity document, which is, which is the shareholders agreement and the articles of association. And, and what they are, are they're, they're contracts between the, the founders, the shareholders. And they make sure that if anything does go wrong, that those documents are referred to rather than everyone having to go to court to decide um, who owns what shares or, or what value the shares were. So really, the way you should really think about it, you know, using a commercial lawyer is to avoid spending a lot of money in court, to almost treat it like an insurance policy, an insurance premium, and um, to spend that money wisely up front so you've got the structure, the proper commercial documents, good corporate governance that can be referred to in the future. So it, it, it really it's an insurance policy. And I think it's, you know, it, it's actually really quite hard when, you, when you're a startup, isn't it? I mean, that, right, so, you know, my story there was really we, we did everything we could on, on the cheap and we downloaded documents that we didn't really know where they came from. Google, from Google or, yeah. Google, Google, yeah. Google, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that lawyer, Google. We probably, you know, we, we, we definitely made every, every mistake that, you, you, you know, you, you shouldn't really make. So this is really good advice. And looking back now, if there's some things, you know, there's always things you do differently. And this is definitely one of them from, from, from my perspective. All the companies I've set up since that first company do make sure that we've got the I's and cross the T's with the setup of the company 
and, and put ourselves on a strong legal found, foundation. And I don't think it's a massively expensive thing to do, is it, John? Well, I mean, you know, you, you never you never trade a business without an insurance policy. You, you know, no one questions paying an insurance premium. You know, it's just something you have to do for trading. And that's the mindset of an entrepreneur that um, it may not be the first thing that you decide on, having the legal framework. But once it's done, done properly, it can go in a drawer and it's only visited if there's a problem and you should treat it with that mindset. And, you know, from a cost perspective, if, you know, if you've got a good commercial lawyer who, who rates the management team, they will work with you in regards to cost. So you should, you should never be put off by initial cost because if you think you've got a decent product or MVP, the lawyer will back you as well and they'll have faith in the management team. What does that mean, John? You mean like further business for the lawyer? Well, what I mean is, is that a lot of people are worried about legal costs at the start. Yes. And certainly the way I, I work a lot, startup and tech businesses, and say, look, you know, it's going to cost X, but I understand cash flow is tight. So if you're prepared to stand behind that fee and guarantee it over a few months, three, three to six months, whatever, okay. you'll stand behind that fee. And it just means that the, they're not, they're not cutting corners and, and downloading documents from Google that just don't work because, you know, it, there's nothing worse than a badly drafted legal document because it can even put you in a worse position than you would have without the document. Yeah. So it, it, it's just worth spending that time and, and, you know, getting that team around is, is another key thing. It's, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you try to do everything. You try to do the commercial, you try to do the sales, you try to do the accounts. And guys from this, I'm sure, when you started, when you were bootstrapping the business, you can't do everything. You know, you've got to get the team around you. And one of those teams from startup growth, series A, B, C, D, E, F, G, private equity listing is, is a lawyer. So that's the way it should be. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So the message is to all the startups is that find the right law firm that is going to support you and help you with those initial costs, however, do it properly and, and get your company set up on the right footing. It, it could save a lot of pain in the long run. So we've we kind of covered that off. So, you know, moving forward then, John, you know, what, what are the kind of things really that you would recommend uh, as a, a sort of staple set of services that you'd require from a, a, a lawyer to make sure that not only is your business set up in the right way, but it on an ongoing basis as it grows, Everything, uh, you, you know, your you ducks are lined up for maybe an eventual acquisition or maybe a, an investment so that you're not running around at the last minute trying to reactively deal with all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you, you sort of, you think you, you start off um, with the business and the first and foremost thing is to make sure your, your share capital is absolutely clear that you know who owns those shares, when shares are transferred. Who pays for what shares? So particularly if you're going for private equity investment or seed investment, make sure you know your share capital table inside out. So that's the first area. We've talked about corporate governance, which is the shareholder agreement and your equity documents. So the two bits there are your share structure and then your founders. Then you go down to the next level, which is your, your, your commercial contract. Very, very important when, when, once you start to commercialise your intellectual property. You need to make sure that um, your terms and conditions, your licensing of any intellectual property is all drafted correctly, which is really important. You know, if you've got a software license that's going to be exploited globally, you, you know, you can contract under English law, but then you can apply it to different jurisdictions. So that's really important. Then obviously your employees need to be tied in. 
um, which are key to the business. So we'd look at how that works, restrictive covenants, restrictive trade, and then what everyone is doing, particularly in the technology world at the moment, is um, it, 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 it's selling data and making sure that you can use data commercially. So where we'd really look at in technology and data-driven businesses, obviously the, the GDPR sections, and that all that all links into your commercial contracts and your IP. So they're they're the main areas when you when you you've set up the business and you're going to really, really drive growth. You need to make sure your employees are tied in. That if they leave, there's restrictive covenants to stop them stop them or to think them twice taking valuable information to competitors and customers. That's essential. And then you turn the conditions to make sure that you know your intellectual property is absolutely protected. Because any investor, one of the first things they will ask is, how do you exploit and protect your intellectual property? And that's when you go straight to legal documents. So they're, they're, they're the sort of the big big ticket stuff when, when you start on the growth journey, I, I believe. Yeah. I mean, Gary, have you got any kind of stories where, you know, things haven't been done correctly and or they have been? And, and Well, I think it, uh, as John indicated there, really, they go to value. Their value drags if they're not there. That's the bit mm. that hits the entrepreneur is that you set this wonderful company up. But as John says, the governance isn't quite right. The, the, the contracts and everything isn't just where it should be. And then when it comes to sell, he's expecting X and he gets X minus a big lump because none of this is in place. And that's what really happens and hits the entrepreneur where it hurts, which is value. Really. You know, I think it's fair to say we, we, I saw it from the, the other side. So, so, so when we were going through the whole due diligence process, we had actually, even though we got off to a very rocky start in terms of you know, setting things up correctly and all that kind of stuff and did everything on the cheap and, and so on. Didn't really fully understand how to run a business, quite honestly, when we set up. In the intervening years, we, we, we lined all our ducks up. And I think it's fair to say when, you know, at one point we had something like 38 lawyers uh, in our data room looking at the paperwork and, you know, just things like good governance stuff, like, you know, board meeting agendas, board meeting minutes, management accounts, quarterly strategy reviews, the minutes from all those meetings and, and, and so on, and uh, as well as employee contracts and the sort of the financial side of things. So I, I think we'd lined most things up pretty well so that we didn't really have to scramble around. And actually, the acquirer didn't either use the opportunity or see anything that they could use the opportunity to to try and chip us on the offer that they made us. So that that, I guess, is... If you do get your, your ducks lined up, the lesson I learned is that it works and it gives the acquirer nowhere to go at the last minute to try and try and chip you. Yeah. I mean, you've got to, you, you think like a big company, you know, even if you're a small company, yeah. if you put those building blocks in that is applied to corporate governance in large businesses, that will always do you really well when, when you go through any sale or liquidity event. So, you know, you've got your, your shareholder agreement building block in place. You know, you can add to those if investors come in, but the well-drafted documents, and this goes with your software licenses. Once you've got the building blocks, then those plain English legal documents can be amended, buried, and dealt with rather than, you know, something that doesn't particularly work, but you only find out doesn't work if you get into litigation with a customer or over intellectual property. So it, it, it's spending the money at the start will no doubt save you money in the future. Yeah. So, John, have you got any kind of stories you could share that aren't going to contravene any, um, you know? <laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the, one of the worst ones we, we've looked at in the past, and this happens a lot, 
and linked to buyback of shares in a company. So if you've got shares in a company, technically the, the company can buy those shares back using the profits and cash in the business. Now, if that doesn't, if that isn't done correctly, the transaction is void. So it means you have a phantom shareholder. So we had a scenario whereby a company alleged to do a share buyback. They went into an M&A process and the buyer of the company, the, the, the legal due diligence said, hang on a minute. The share buyback wasn't done correctly. It was done by an accountant. It's void. So that shareholder you thought you exited six years ago that you fell out with still owns 25% of this company. <laughs> and, and the company had gone from 2 million to 50. So you, you, you can imagine the problems that that caused. You know, it, it, it caused real serious issues. So that's, that's in itself a quite a simple job, but it demonstrates that if you do things cheaply and don't use the right professionals, it might not affect you when the business isn't worth a lot of money. But five years down the line, when you've tripled inside, yeah. it, it, it will affect you. And that could have cost you five or six grand then. It could cost you millions down the line. So that's selling a bit of fear, but that's a true life situation that happened. What kind of brought this home to me, slightly different example, but it, it, it's definitely relevant all the same was, and, and without going into too much detail on it, what you did for, for, for us was you acknowledged that within the agreement that certain situations might happen. They might not or they might, but you allowed for them. So if they did, there was a process for, for that to be handled in the right way without you losing a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And actually, during our acquisition, one of those situations did arise. It was one that we weren't expecting and one that I'd not even really thought of, but you had. Mm-hmm. And you, you quite literally saved us well into the seven figures. I can't remember this, but you'll have to tell me afterwards, <laughs> guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You, but you that, did. That, that villa in a beef. Let's speak there. Yeah, you, yeah. You, can, you can go next week. Oh, no, you can't, John. Can you no. say Boris is not alive? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, fantastic. No. But it goes to show that, you know, if, if you don't have someone who's kind of been there, done it, got the T-shirt and understands what can happen, then you don't protect yourselves against those scenarios that you're not expecting. And you don't have any experience as the entrepreneur. might be your first or second acquisition, whereas, you know, an experienced lawyer's done tens of those things. So they know the kind of things that can happen and can protect you against those kind of things. And that is during the acquisition process. But I guess that can also could be during a funding stage or something like that as well. I mean, what any entrepreneur, if you're going through a funding stage or M&A, and you have a relationship with the investor afterwards, you don't want to fall out with them and have a divorce before you've even, <laughs> even done the deal. So you're it's not like, going to be... It's like having a divorce, John, and leaving, living in the same house, isn't it? You yeah, know, yeah. yeah you're, not, you're not going to think about the negatives, and you shouldn't do because it's, it's a positive scenario. Yeah. But that's what you pay us for. We have to think about, well, what if, what if? And it might feel like it's doomsday and we shouldn't press it, but... You should you should never be nervous about asking those hard questions and and you deflect onto the lawyer anyway. You you blame the lawyer. You say, well, yes, the lawyer says I have to ask this. Don't blame me. I'm I'm just paying for professional advice. I've, I've done that lots of times. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. publicly I'm sitting at the table and I'm I'm thinking, yeah, keep going, keep going. And then we break out. I go, brilliant, well done. And yeah. Publicly, it's like, what? Well, he's, he's going a bit over the top, isn't he? Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny, you know. I mean, the the thing yeah. that kind of shocked me—I was naive to these situations, really. Just on that point, was 
I actually you know still have a good relationship with the with the people that uh, acquired my company. But during the, the the acquisition process, you know, you'd have the lawyer from the acquirer side, you have the lawyer from the um, seller side, and you'd have the representatives from each of the companies. And 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 usually it's a lawyer's doing the back and forth. And actually got quite aggressive at points, not in a bad way, but in a, you know, there was, um, it was, it was a lot different to how I expected it would be. And it was almost like the, the lawyers, they were prepared to be the bad cops in that situation and fight the corner on behalf of their clients until it was resolved. And then the, the, the other, you know, the, the buyers and sellers themselves, just sat there while this kind of uh, while this happened and just listened to it, and it was a little bit of an eye opener for me, and uh, really interesting all the same. A little ditty I've got, just a quick one, which I, I find I've changed my view on lawyers from the start of business to to where I am now, and, and I would actually pay more. You know, it used to be pay as little as possible, but actually it's it's the other way round. I'll tell John that guy. I've seen that. Cool. The value in a well, corporate environment is just crazy. So I can yeah. remember getting uh, a company got Queen's Council against me, and I thought, oh my god, that that name Queen's Council means yeah. I'm banged to rights. I'm banged to rights. So I walk I walk into the into the lawyer's office, and I'd already sent an email telling him what the score was. He said, I know what you're thinking. Don't worry about it because we can get Queen's Council. Says the opposite. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? He said, well, <laughs> Queen's Council is just a view. Your view is X, and they've just got a different view, so don't worry about that. And I won easily. I didn't even go to court because he knew and the experience of that process. How satisfying is that to me to hear that? I mean, I was dead, I thought. And someone like John just suddenly goes, no, no, we can get, we can get our own Queen's Council says something different. I'm like, oh, my gosh, changed everything. And it was worth seven figures. Credible. Yeah. yeah. Only because you've been there and got the experience and seen lots of similar scenarios that, you know, the entrepreneur day in, day out doing whatever he's doing just doesn't see or oh, have any yeah, yeah, you can't you can't do everything and yet you, you concentrate on driving value. You know, at the end of the day, the entrepreneurs take the risks. They they put the, the house on the line, don't they? And, you know, give the personal guarantees. And at the end of the day, they need that support of the lawyer, the accountant, and, you know, you're not an exec director to take that, that additional stress of trying to understand an entire different world that, you know, yes. you're, not prepared, you're not prepared for. We've only got a, a few minutes left, so really we're just looking for a kind of closing comments, really. So let's start with, you know, John, what, what do you, if you were to give an advice to an entrepreneur who has grown his business from a startup or their business from a startup to, you know, something that has a, a really good platform and is ready for high growth and, and therefore could be looking at, you know, some angel investment or maybe even not VCPE kind of type of investment yeah. uh, with a view to an acquisition in three years' time. What are the main things that they should be looking at and lining up ready and, and just getting the house in order? From a legal perspective, it's absolutely um, getting all your commercial arrangements and contracts signed, dated, stored in a data room. So it's almost as if you've got that information at your fingertips so you know where your intellectual property patents, registrations, trademarks all are. That's really important. Update your shareholders agreement. Have it reviewed every year. If someone leaves, have it reviewed. Update those on, you know, almost when you meet your accountant on a quarterly basis. Arrange that with your lawyer. Pick up the phone to them and they should do that to you anyway. You know, any lawyer will 
you know, tap into their key clients on a basis. But yeah, it's all about preparation, delegating that responsibility of making sure the legals work to your lawyer and, you know, and your commercial director. Okay, thank you. Gary, any kind of closing thoughts? Get the best lawyer you, you can't afford at the time, really. You need a firm that is big enough that have different elements. You know, we I've done a lot of property, so it's not just the commercial lawyer. They need to have property lawyers and other different elements. So they need to be big enough. But most of all, you need to feel that you trust them and you get on with them. And I think yeah. if, you can, if you can do that and uh, have an experienced lawyer who can to go where you're going rather than where you are today, that would be my advice. Yeah, and going back to your your point before, Gary, my view on you know lawyers has, has significantly changed from being fearful of the costs and not understanding the domain and, and not really realizing the importance through to now fully understanding how a lawyer can really help secure your future and the the success of your company. And they're an important element of that. And we're going back to some of the previous podcasts where we talk about who's. You definitely need a legal who. Somebody who you can talk to that if you've got a legal issue, whether it be HR, whether it be, you know, setting up an EMI scheme uh, for your employees or, or whatever it is, you know, they have the capability themselves or they have the capability within their business to uh, get that done properly, efficiently. And like you say, you don't need to hire the top uh, London firms. There's really good firms like Burnham's mid-tier uh, in in your local area, um, in our case, sort of Manchester uh, area. I so, think it distills, can I just finish up? Because yeah. I think it's important that the mindset of the entrepreneur needs to be where they're going, not where they are today. That's yeah. the key, because where they're going is fast growth, high growth, as, as John said previously, and then worth, no longer worth a million. You might be worth 50. What sort of lawyer do you want looking after you at that point? And I think that's, it's hard to do. Our both experiences is definitely do it. Absolutely. Great way to finish it. Nice summary. Thanks very much, John. Thank you, Gary. And and Georgia, thank you as always. Thank you, everyone. And just on a closing note, John, where can people listening find, find you or find out more about the things you've talked about today? Yeah, um, Berman's, the website is um, www.berman's.co.uk. Uh, and my name's John Davidge, um, and my email address is uh, Davidge D-A-V-A-G-E, at permans.co.uk. Perfect. Thank you all very much. Guy and Gary, I'll see you next week. See you next week. week. Thanks, Georgia. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. Visit the EHE Capital website, ehe.capital, for further insights and to join the EHE community.